You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, guys, how's everybody doing here? Uh, continuing, uh, obviously, yeah, we did take a night off last night. I think we've earned it after a long week, um, but I actually did make it over to the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson, so we broke down a bunch of Brown stuff. Uh, state of the AFC North after week one. Uh, yeah, guys, there's a lot to be excited about. Um, you know, like we've mentioned, it's still the vampire theory. You're going to have to drive the wooden stake through the hearts of the Ravens and the Steelers this year. But you know, there's no reason to not feel good, feel excited, extremely excited about where this franchise is headed. So we're going to do your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, whether it's in the car, whether it's Alexa, whether it's Google Play, play Locked On Browns podcast. Have uh, you know the, the latest episode brought up for your attention. We've uh, we were wait- I was waiting to get through this to where we got enough enough of the you know nuts and bolts of it done. Uh, John Costco here from Pro Football Focus. Obviously, you know John A. Brown's guy. We're going to get his reactions here on the week, and then of course we're going to start putting some of these guys under the PFF lens and see exactly you know what we've got going on. But John, this is the one we've been starting with when guys are coming on this week. So Tuesday night, I don't know what you're doing, and all of a sudden, oh Lord, the Giants really did it. Odell Beckham Jr. is a Cleveland Brown. Yeah, so uh, like what I've been doing for PFF in the past week for the free agency was uh, I was basically right. We have our our live blog about you know when moves were getting you know reported. Obviously on Tuesday nothing was official, but stuff was getting reported. We we'd blurb something up, um, and I was I was a part of that. I was I was doing that, and so I was keeping up to date on all the uh, the moves that were happening around the NFL and and. I basically called it a night, and uh, somebody else is going to take over for doing stuff. And I'm just hanging out with the kids, and um, you know, we're, we're just, you know, I'm just spending time with them. I, I open up my phone, and and I've got some messages that I started to feel, and then I check, uh, you know, Skype, which is ha- which happens with uh, where we do all of our work with PFF and, and their communication, and it's just been blown up. The messages bl- galore. And all of us, I see, I find, you know, you know, with our our Browns chat that we have with the Browns fans there, and they're going nuts about OBJ. And so I bolted to the computer to try to like make sure that this was correct, and seeing all their tweets with like Schefter confirming it, and you know, Michael uh, Garofolo confirming it, Rapport confirming it. And was, that was, and then if anybody follows me on Twitter, they saw my my reaction to it with my kids, and it was uh, we were, we were we were very happy. Uh, because this is this is a significant move, uh, obviously, and just for the um, what it does for the team. Because not many positions really, or even players, add like a significant number of wins. You've got a lot of great players around the league, like like Kevin Zeitler is a good, very good player. You know, Joel Batonio is a really good player. Even Joe Thomas in his prime, like basically, which was his entire career, was a very good player. But they don't add to the win column like a player like Odell Beckham Jr. has throughout his career. He's averaged about two wins per year. How, you know, when he's played a full year, he obviously in 2017, he, he only played four games. But all the other years in his career, he's averaged two wins per year added to the team, which is a phenomenal number for a non-quarterback. So he's been one of the top players in that regard. And so that's what he immediately brings to the team is, is he's going to add wins. And then I'm, you know, he backs it up with the production, and everybody knows about the highlight catches. But he's consistent on a down-to-down basis, and he can get separation, does everything well at the wide receiver position, and he's obviously just going to make the team 
so much better because of it. And that was the thing. And we were talking about it last night with Matt Williamson. And he said, you know, the jump to get yourself from a, 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 the bottom of the league to get yourself to, you know, mediocrity is one thing. The jump from mediocrity to upper echelon, that's that's even harder. And you know, we had been talking, you know, we really like the skill of Perriman can stick around and he can work out the Higgins thing. We really like this. And then all of a sudden you just bring in the best, most talented skill guy into the locker room in a move. Look, Jabril Peppers played well. I mean, nobody's denying that. Um, you know, you know, pick 17 for OBJ. You know, you figured it was going to take two firsts. Um, you know, they value Jabril as a first. Uh, you know, you can find a way, especially in this draft class, probably to give you enough of a Jabril to offset it. But it's like, yeah, we really, really like this skill. All right, well, how about we just double down on that altogether? So now you'll start the pecking order at Odell, and now look at everybody underneath from there, and it's oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Really, like you know, we're looking at the Browns roster before the move, right? I, I think some a lot of people are arguing, "Oh, Baker doesn't need a number one wide receiver, right?" It's like you can work with what he got. Yeah, you absolutely can. The quarterback does make the the team around him better, and you saw that, especially when um, you know when he took started to take, took over, and uh, and then especially once a better scheme was in place with uh, under Freddie Kitchens. But um, I, I think if anybody was was looking at it, like you know, I, you know. I was looking at it as like they, they do need to add a wide receiver. Was it necessarily a number one guy? No, but they needed to, I think they needed to add an explosive playmaker there that you could just because of the fact that you you know, Perriman obviously took off in the second day. Great, you know, great production there. He had you know, he's gonna be great for the Buccaneers, I really think, because of how you know, how much he's just grown. But um when you when you obviously have an opportunity to do this and you give up Jabril Peppers, who obviously is a good player, he's not not great. He's good. Uh, you had a third, you know, give up a third round pick, which is, I mean, a hit, a complete hit or miss, you know, when you when you draft in that round, uh, and you give up a first rounder, which you know equates about on an average to about point seven wins a year, uh, depending on you know if you obviously get a quarterback, it's you know bumps it up and uh, a skill position or lesser, not a non quarterback, basically bumps it down on average but really it's it's phenomenal what it, what it'll do for the team it's going to open up everything for everybody else you know I, you know i know people talk crap on on jarvis landry because of um you know his yards after catch and his average depth of target and what he brings but really i mean he's he's a slot receiver and he's a, he's a very good slot receiver and and some people don't think that's valuable, and but it, it really actually is a value, very valuable position because targets to the slot just move the chains, and, and that's what they do. Uh, you're obviously Odell Beckham Jr. lines up all across the formation um, and can do everything for you, and he's just gonna he's gonna make your running game better. He's gonna make your passing game better. Uh, it does take you know what moves the needle the most is the quarterback position, and this doesn't happen if you don't have Baker Mayfield, and I. Sure, lots of people have said that, but really, it 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 just takes you from a team that you're thinking, all right, they have a shot at the play uh, at the playoffs uh, and maybe the Super Bowl, and it's now uh, they're definitely in the playoffs with a shot at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it was a feel good story of you know, all right, I mean, now you got a shot. Now, I mean, now now we're talking legit expectations, um, and you know, anything less than probably the AFC North title would be a disappointment. But John, get. Put him under the PFF lens because 
I don't think people understand. You, know, everybody sees the highlights and, like you said, you know, all the big plays. I don't think people understand technically just how good a football player Odell Beckham is. Right. So he's had a you know an eighty like you know he's had an elite grade in four of his five years in the league. Um, and he averaged you know he's, last year he averaged like two point two five yards per route run, which is uh, anything above two is, is good. And so obviously the further away from two you get, the more elite it becomes. And a guy like um, uh, Julio Jones is, has led in that category pretty much every single year of his the past five years or so. Um, he's right up there with, with Julio Jones. Uh, you know, and it, it really technically he, he can do everything well. He can, he wins with, when he comes to talk about it, with contested catches, he can win with, with speed, he can do it with route running savvy. Um, obviously, he does the highlight real catches, uh, but he he does it where he understands leverages of the defense and where to find open open spots in defense. And he does it with a with phenomenal yards after the catch and ability to break tackles after the catch. He he forced uh, twenty plus, and uh, you know pretty much every year he's been healthy. Um, and he did it last year. He, he only played in twelve games. But the thing is, you look at him. He average. He, added 1.98 wins over replacement last year on just 12 games and that was the ninth best non-quarterback you obviously you play a full season he's he's competing for the the best non-quarterback in the nfl which you know everybody knows to be as as aaron donald but uh that's what his impact is and that's you know from from everything that you you look at across the board it's not just the highlight reels it's it's he does everything right he can get off press coverage he can beat zone he can beat man he knows how to how to subtly win at the at the catch point when when there's tight coverage with with hand usage and leaping ability and just you know tracking the ball and, and body control. So he's he's the complete package at the wide receiver position. And there's almost no shot that you would have gotten a player like that of that type of impact at number 17 in this draft. Um, so it, uh, it, this was a clear clear win for the Browns. Well, and then, then you, I mean, you couple into the factor that no other receiver on this team is ever going to see double coverage ever. Nothing but one on ones. And I, I still joke, you know, like, uh, you know, if you want to say like Nick Chubb is the, you know, the submarine, he's going to use the periscope and be like, well, where is everybody in the box? There's nobody here. I mean, if if Nick Chubb leads the league in yards per carry last year, it, 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 I mean, if he doesn't, it would almost be the biggest stunner probably in my opinion, because I, I just don't know how you're going to defend this team if you're going to go heavy in the box, because you can put an Odell out there, you can put a Callaway out there. I don't know how you're going to contain, you know, David Najoku, obviously, you know, Higgins, if he remains, you know, him and, you know, uh, Landry, obviously, you know, much more within the first 10 yards is where they do their damage. I just don't really understand how you're going to defend this. Um, guys, we're going to get a little bit more into the offensive guys here. Um, you know, some of the new additions brought in here. Um, guys, whether it's iTunes that you're listening on over there, do me a favor, drop that five-star, drop that written review. Uh, just continues to help with the show's growth, and I'm greatly appreciative for it. Now, John, um, Demetrius Harris brought over, obviously, you know, I'm not sure if they're done at the tight end position because when John said, you know, you, you want to make some major upgrades after moving on from Darren Fells, I, I don't know if Demetrius Harris essentially quantifies that, qualifies to that statement, but, you know, you get a similar player in size. Obviously, you know, Harris a little bit more athletic. Um, does, you know, smaller sample size receiving, similar to Fells in that. But here was the thing. Um, you know, Darren Fells, everybody thought, you know, was, you got this big, bad, great blocker. But, you know, Harris comes over, and it seems, you know, for the last year or two, he's been the better 
tight end as a blocker. Yeah, so you look at the their last year their blocking grade. So Fells had a had a, a higher overall grade um, because he had had some better catches and Harris had some some poor drops. But I mean, as a as a run blocker, Harris's grade was a seventy two. Fells was a fifty five point nine. Um, significant difference there. So you're obviously getting a much better run blocker. Uh, pass blocking is slightly better, 73.7. Uh, Fellows is 72.9. So really kind of negligible there. But uh, what you're getting from Harris is more upside, I'd say, in the, in the passing game with a better uh, run blocking production. Because um, I, I think the I think I don't think you need to really actually do anything more with the tight end position except for to bring in a maybe bring in a guy or to compete with uh, Seth Deval that second receiving back if or see receiving tight end if if you think that Harris can't develop into that but because um, he hasn't shown that yet throughout his career I, I know he has the, the athletic ability to, to be that but he hasn't shown uh, that at all yet so far in his career and it may, mainly because it's um, you know he's behind Travis Kelsey in that regard but um, I mean, he's an upgrade over Fells when it comes to the blocking aspect of the game. Uh, probably sim- you know, similar in terms of what they'll show in the field as a receiver. And so, you know, uh, it's a, it's a it's an upgraded position. And I think um, really he's a guy that's not you know he's probably only going to see the field thirty percent of the time, which is what you know the the Browns ran two plus tight ends on the field about about that it was like thirty thirty to thirty three percent. So. Um, it's not it's not a huge factor in, in the overall you know, scheme of things, but it is um, you know it'll be an upgrade when when you have obviously multiple tight ends out there. Yeah, and um, now offensive line wise, now this is interesting. Obviously, you know with you know Corbett going into a starting starting spot and moving Zeitler, you know you needed obviously a guy who could back up in the interior, pretty much anywhere. You got that guy. Um, and, and I'll mention here, too, and then you can go into both of them. Uh, Kendall Lamb, uh, you know, obviously, you know, so Eric Cush, obviously, is going to be that guy. And look, you know, if Corbett, if it just ain't ready yet, Cush is capable of manning a spot for a little while. Um, then Kendall Lamb from the Houston Texans. And look, when all this happens, what's the first thing you do? You know, for me, you know, you get a little bio on him, you fire up PFF, and you look at Kendall Lamb's grade, and the first thing that came on my mind was the Spider-Man meme. Because you look at Chris Hubbard, you kind of look at Greg Robinson's grade, you look at Kendall Lamb, and it's all—it's—they're all pretty much the same. Did enough pass blocking, good enough pass blocking. The run, you woof. The run blocking, all you know, yikes. But it's—they're it, all three of them are pretty much the same guy. Yeah. So uh, Lamb was actually had a better pass blocking grade than any of them last yep. year. I think it was seventy nine. Yeah. And what's interesting about um, it, his. Uh, his play, um, you know, and him on that at Texans team is that Texans offensive line was garbage. Every single one of them across the board was garbage, except for Kendall Lamb. And Kendall Lamb was was brought down. His overall grade was brought down because of his his run blocking, which is atrocious. So his rough run blocking <laughs> is worse than anything that the Browns saw last year on their offensive line. But as a pass blocker, which is most important when you got to protect Baker Mayfield. He his his final grade was a seventy five point nine. There, um, you know, he gave up fewer hurries and or fewer pressures. Uh, had a better pass blocking efficiency than both Greg Robinson and um, Chris Hubbard. But so he's gonna, you know, people throw this out as like, oh, he's just gonna be a you know 
compete for the backup swing tackle position, blah, blah, blah. And I really actually think he's going to compete for that starting position because um, he finally got a shot to start in the league last year and, and excelled, you know, and especially, but you know, around, everything around him was garbage. Like when gar- the Texans offensive line was so bad last year. I don't, I don't know if people understand how bad it was, but it was really, really bad. And he was one of the, the main, the only really bright spot on it because of how good he was in, in pass protection. So I think he's going to, you know, put into a place with a better offensive line. He could, he could be better than what he was last year. Obviously, the run blocking you'd like to see improved, uh, but you know he, he's going to compete for a starting job uh, for, as a legit option to do that. Um, but really, Browns fans, I think, are, have you know, offensive line as a as a whole have been overrating how good. It's, it was last year. The The interior was fantastic. They were a top unit, no, you know, no questions asked. But Greg Robinson and, and Chris Hubbard, they they were, they were gave up a, a decent amount of pressures. And, and people, you know, you look at that as an example. Look at the Baker uh, fake jet toss throw to Jarvis Landry against the Baltimore Ravens uh, down the seam for a touchdown. Everybody remembers the, the cool Jake fake jet toss and, and you know, the, the trick look with that. But look at the right side of that offensive line, and you've got Chris Hubbard that was whipped immediately at the line of scrimmage, and nobody knows, notices it because Baker got that ball out the end in result. time, yep. and the end result was a touchdown. So nobody remembers that Chris Hubbard was was giving up a pressure and almost gave up a sack because it was that quick. But Baker was able to, um, you know, he was able to get the rid of the ball in time, and it didn't affect the play. Yeah, and look, when you're talking about, and I remember when we did the Jets preview last year, when you're talking about an offensive line and the highlight and where you start is right tackle, that's usually all you need to know about an offensive line, about whether or not it's legitimate, you know, legitimately good or legitimately bad. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you may have found something here. And it's weird um, because Houston's done nothing to address the offensive line to this point. And you basically just let the best yeah. guy of that offensive line walk out. And you've got a guy who's already walking around on two surgically repaired ACLs. And Deshaun Watson, who you are praying is going to save your franchise and you know keep you legitimate for a decade or so, and yeah, because I even remember going to that game last year. You know, oh, this is going to be Baker's ultimate test. These guys can get after the quarterback. He barely got touched. Watson was harassed all day. But I do agree with you. The second half of last season, you know that that was maybe a little bit more of a mirage than it was a reality as far as you know, what the offensive line did and you know Baker ultimately ending up with a, you know, the time he did. I that I don't think it's a sustainable thing. Um, now some thoughts here on Eric Cush. Yeah, so um, this is a – I mean, he's obviously battled injuries like significantly throughout his career. You Similar know, to Treader in that regard. <laughs> worse, I'd say, cause he okay. just, because um, he – Treader actually played through him, and, and basically Treader didn't start in Green Bay because um, – they had Corey Lindsay there, so he was basically backing up Corey Lindsay. Um, but so then, when Shredder was inserted as a starter, he was able to start fully. Cush, uh, on the other hand, basically, you know, he missed all of 2017. You know, he he was drafted in 2013. He did, didn't take any snaps from 2014, 2015. He only had 73 as a rookie. Um, got 278, 279 in, in 2016, and then last year he had 344. Was the starter to start the year. Then he. Uh, injured his neck, kind of rotated after week four, and then was you know they started. I think I think they put him on IR. I can't remember exactly what happened, but they started Brian Winsman 
instead of him after you know starting week nine, which wins if anybody's watched Winsman, he's terrible. So um he Kush when he played was very good. He he you know, on three hundred and forty four snaps, uh his pass blocking grade was a seventy nine point six. He gave up all of just three hurries on a year. Um, and so he was very good as a pass blocker. So he's going to come, he's the guy that started at left guard last year. So he's going to compete with, with Corbett and push him to be better. Cause you don't want to just give Corbett the, the job. He, you know, he, he's going to have to, to win that. And Cush is going to be there to, uh, compete with him for that right guard job. And Cush uh, could very well win it because he's got the experience in the NFL. Obviously he's, he, if he can stay healthy, but um, it, it, this is a, another really good move for for depth on that old line, which is uh, Browns had really kind of unsustainable injury luck on the offensive line. Yeah. So uh, you know, you talk th- talk about Treader. He had that he had that ankle injury and was basically playing on one leg last year. Um, it's very possible that he you know he he gets injured and and you you lose your starting center, so you need to have somebody place in there and that would be probably Corbett um which kind of does mean then make you nervous because uh he's never actually played center in his life he, he was a left tackle in, in college he played some guard uh early in his career so this is a position that this is I, I like the moves that they made on the offensive line cheap you know guys that you know obviously were nobody really knows about but they're solid starters they can be solid starters in the NFL yeah, and, and, and it's like the, there was a track record. You, you, you've seen enough that where you would have enough faith in him with that, and, and I agree wholeheartedly. The Browns started the offensive line of their choosing in every sixteen in each of every sixteen games last year. That doesn't happen, and you know t- to think you're going to get to do that two years in a row, that's probably not going to be the case here, um, guys. Whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, the Locked On NFL Net on both uh, social media platforms, everything from every host of every NFL show, the draft shows, the fantasy shows, funneled through those accounts. So if you're not following and you're looking for overall NFL knowledge, everything from me and about uh, I think it's about 38 total shows NFL wise on Locked On NFL Net. Uh, on both social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. Go ahead and make sure you're following Locked On NFL Net. Thanks. Now, I do want to switch over to the defensive side of the ball here. And this is where it's it, it's tough because Olivier Vernon is a fantastic, fantastic transaction. Sheldon Richardson, you're talking a former you're talking former defensive rookie of the year. Obviously, you know, he's had his troubles, and now he's going to be on his fourth team. But a really solid player. These two moves are really, I mean, Odell, is that's just the lightning rod he is. You kind of forget about everything else. But we harped on this, John, week in, week out. Oh, my God, look at these snap counts for Miles. Look at these snap counts for Larry. This is insane. Well, we're gonna. this is going to need to be rectified. I think you found a way to rectify it, and you brought in, you know, now you finished off your front four, and, and this is an impressive-looking starting unit up front. Sheldon, with all the versatility he brings, Vernon, he just played that he's going to be healthy enough to give you 16 games because it always seems he's got that stretch in the year where he's gone for a bit. But, I mean, these moves should not be poo-pooed and put on the back page just because Odell was brought here. No, absolutely not. You know, uh, let's talk about Olivier Vernon first. Um, I think I think he does get a little bit of a bad rep for um, missing games because gets he the did, soft it, label. Well, so yeah, I mean he started every game. You know he played ninety four point two percent of the team snaps in twenty sixteen. Um, you know he he didn't miss 
uh, any games in 2015, didn't miss any games in 2014, didn't miss any games in 2013, and then in 2017, he did miss some games, and then last year he missed some games too. So, I mean, he had no injuries in the you know for four years, and then had has had a couple injuries the past two years. So, you know, uh, yes, you want him to stay healthy, obviously, but I think. I don't think he has like this injury problem. And then when he's obviously on the field, he's very productive. Um, you know, he's never he's never going to live up to that contract that he got because that contract. You know, you want you you people would think, ah, oh, you've got to get double digit sacks every single year. Uh, you should be on the level of Von Miller with that type of contract. Yeah, this is true. They overpaid for him, but he's still a, a very good player. You look at his grade last year is like pretty similar to Miles Garrett. So you're talking about having a guy with Miles Garrett type production and you know from last year and you're having that coming off both edges. I mean that's going to be ridiculous. And then you add Sheldon Richardson to the mix who uh arguably is, you know, after Aaron Donald and you know one of the, probably the you know up there with one of the best uh, talented uh defensive tackles, though he doesn't always put it together. So he has the talent and ability, but for whatever reason, he's never put it to you know put it all to good use after his like you know first two years in the league. So he's kind of bounced around the league, um, and this hasn't uh, you know hasn't has just for whatever reason. I think it, you know maybe it could be a little bit of laziness or just takes some play like plays off or whatever. But even when he does has that, he's had still really good production. Uh, he's had over forty seven pressures every single year. Uh, you know. For of his basically of his career, and he's just phenomenal players. That's just gonna obviously help out the entire defensive line. And so you've got a you've got a defensive line that's just gonna be stacked now. And allows uh, Ogunjobi to go back to nose tackle and play there, uh, which is he which he's best at. Um, and it will should you know they're obviously gonna build depth, and I think they should uh, look in the obviously in the draft that this is a really deep defensive tackle class get one of those guys and you can have a good, you know, even better rotation uh, along the interior defensive line. So uh, you, you went from having one of the worst defensive lines in, in the NFL in terms of, uh, you know, generating pressure to easily a top one uh, by these two moves. And so uh, it's, it's going to be fun for Browns fans. Uh, it, 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 there's, it, there's just no way to, you know, not get a little giddy about it. First thing I think with Vernon is, you know, he obviously he's a little bit, you know, undersized for the position. So now, okay, well, now he goes to the right side. Um, so now it's maybe not nearly an issue that it was. And look, he ate pretty well in the NFC East against a lot of really good left tackles. Now he's going to be facing, you know, right tackles here. Um, so that just works for him. Sheldon can do anything. I mean, he's he's played he's played outside. He's played stand up, hand in dirt. Um, you, you, you can put him anywhere. Um, you still have the advantage, you know, with Jannard Avery and nickel and dime situations where if you want to put Miles inside for some pass reps, uh, you can go with bookends of Vernon and Avery. You're not really going to skip a beat in that regard. So that means you can go with that NASCAR because obviously you know have Sheldon in. You can have maybe Larry take take his blows in that situation. Um, you still have Chris Smith around. They brought back Carl Davis. You're going to hit this draft class with the eight picks. You're going to get a guy or two because. You just you go shopping for what the market is. If the market's deep in defensive interior, yeah, it's 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 where you're going to hit. Sheldon's deal essentially could be a one-year deal if the Browns want out of it, so they you know can groom you know, which is a smart move on their part because 
you know, Sheldon Richardson, there is a trust factor. There's no doubt about it. So you, you, know, you can hopefully groom somebody if it doesn't work out, you know, to, to step up into that role. Um, the interesting name here, and it's not like he's done a tremendous amount of, with his career, but he, he, you know, obviously does have a relationship with Steve Wilkes. Um, did play a lot last year for Tampa Bay. You, you know he's a good special teamer. His production was good. The grades weren't. But you look at a guy like Adarius Thomas, uh, you know, coming out at a four five nine forty, uh, the bench reps of thirty two. Which guys, that's just an insane number for a, for a linebacker. Thirty two. That's a crazy good number. But he's he's interesting. I mean, I, I you know, he's he's nothing that's going to stop you from any other potential moves down the line. But he's an interesting guy, and the one thing they thought is they needed more athleticism to chase down these backs who are you know catching 100 balls a year now. He fits the mode of maybe somebody who can do this. Yeah, I want I want to I'll, I'll say I'll come to him in a second. I just wanted to say one more thing about Olivier Vernon. You know, when you, you said that he played in the NFC East, you had Tyrone Smith that he had to face two times a year, Trent Williams two times a year, and who's oh, Peters? Jason Peters two times a year. I mean, that's those are like probably maybe three hall of famers at the position (laughs) that he had to face every single year and he they didn't rotate him to the other side that he always rushed from the offensive left side uh and he still was able to get the production that he did so he's his the right tackle he's gonna be going against bobby hart everyone (laughs) everyone loves to go back to that one for the Bengals. (laughs) I saw that money. It was, I mean, look, and I'm a Florida State guy, and you know, like I, the one hope I had for Barbie, Bobby Hart was he was just a pup when he got to the league. He showed up in Tallahassee. He was 16. Well, no, it's it's just not there. The kid's just not good. But go ahead, give him three years, 22 million dollars, Cincinnati, knock your socks off. Yeah, and then he's going to be, you know, I, I don't know what Baltimore situation at right tackle is. They they wrote they switched around James Zeus, Hurst there. If it was James well, Zeus, Hurst, Zeus Junior. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. That's right. So he's 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 a solid player there. So you'll have some, you know, have some good battles with him. But um, since Pittsburgh, they they released Marcus Gilbert. They're, oh, traded him for a sixth. Traded so, him for a sixth. <laughs> I don't know who their starting right guard uh, tackle is going to be, but it's just going to be significantly easier in, in the uh, AFC North. But you know how how I know uh, nobody really knows about this Tampa Bay guys that you called him a Darius Thomas, and his name is Darius Taylor. So, you know. Oh, well, well, thank you, Hayden Grove, for putting it on his list. That's right. And, and the, you know what, though? Even though when he was coming out, he had a different last name during his draft cycle. He had a different last name. We talked about this the other day. And, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, that, that's yeah. where we're at. Uh, his last name is Darius Taylor. Yeah, I, I remember that because, like, when the move happened, I was like, I, you know, I just I, I look at I look at it in PFF, and then I'll look up on, like, Wikipedia or something like that for, like, you know, maybe some some background information on him, and it's like it gave some different last name. And I was like, "This is not the guy I'm looking up," but it's like, <laughs> but there's his picture. But you look at it, it's like, "Oh, okay, he's a different name." But um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that he says that he's going to compete, wants to start. Obviously, he wants to start. I, this is not a guy that I want to see starting for the Browns at all because his he, he came out with a 42.2 grade when he got his first opportunity to start in the league. Uh, run defense 40.9 his pass rushing which he only did 34 times but still he did it fit you know as great as a 56.1 and then in coverage which is the most important thing that you want to see from an off-ball linebacker he was a 49.5 he allowed a passer rating of 132.6 when his tar- his t- uh, coverage was targeted he gave up four touchdowns on 30 targets uh he allowed 
83.3% of his targets to be caught for 11.6 yards per reception, which is quite significant for a, uh, by a linebacker. Um, this is not a guy that I want to, you know, this is a guy you want to see competing on special teams, and I have no doubt that he'll do fine there. I, you know, I don't even look at special teams grades when it, usually, but then, like, when I see a guy with, like, that bad of grades, I'll look at special teams to see if, all right, is this guy good on special teams? And he's a average on special teams, so that's good enough for me. He's not going to – didn't miss any tackles last year in special teams, which obviously is a big issue for the Browns. But uh, as long as he doesn't miss tackles on special teams, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with him, you know, on special teams. But he was, he was poor as, uh, on defense, and um, you'll need to – the addressing the linebackers linebacker position is not a done deal for sure. And I, I, obviously they're going in there with, with uh, Joe and Kirko to be the starters, but they're, and I prop and probably Avery. So, um, which upsets, upsets me. He needs to be uh, an edge rusher first and foremost, his, his grades. I was looking them up and let me, let me see if I can buy some time while I'm pulling this up again. But, um, you know, I was talking to friends, you know, at PFF about about, um, about Avery and his production from off ball versus edge in college. And so, you know, when they drafted him, I think they wanted him to be an off ball guy and and and, and whatnot. But in college is where he, he he excelled as an edge rusher, and he did the same in the NFL. So in college, his overall grade off the edge was an eighty. Uh, his run D was seventy point nine, but his pass rush was an eighty. Uh, and his coverage from from an edge was an 83.4, so he all really good numbers there. But when he played off ball backer and he lined up in that position, uh, his his overall grade tanked to a 54.4. His run D was tanked to a 58.3. The only thing that was better was that he was better as a pass rusher from off ball at 90.4. But he only did that about 45 times, so that that's a small sample size. Still, obviously, great production. But a small sample size, and I think uh, every you know his coverage where he was off ball was a forty point four. So you're talking you're talking about significantly worse, pretty much across the board, except for as a pass rusher when he plays off ball linebacker, and he becomes really productive as an edge rusher when you when you play him as where, where he's good at. So um, that's where I want to see him played. You know, rotate him in with. Uh, give to give Olivier Vernon th- those breathers. That's the guy you want rotating because he's going to be he's going to fill in not at, not at the hundred percent Olivier Vernon, but maybe ninety percent, and that's really good. You put him at linebacker, and and people I, I don't know what it is that people really like about him as awful linebacker, but I've never seen it, and our grades don't yep. bear it out. It's just he's not good there, so it, you don't want to go into the season with a big giant question mark at your third linebacker position. And even with Kirko, who, who I know a lot of people like, but he, he's really struggled since, um, since, you know, Ray Horton, um, you know, and Greg Williams, he's been really bad on the Greg Williams. So it's, it's, I, you know, I, I'm not, the linebacker position needs an upgrade. I, for sure. And I, and I don't, so far what I've seen from what they've done, I'm not, I'm not too keen on them being, uh, I, I, I'd say that they've downgraded. They released Jamie Collins, and they haven't replaced him with anybody yet. So, yeah, and I think the thing, and what you're kind of hoping for, though, is everything goes the way it should 
and you're going to be up early in a lot of these games, and if this defensive line is what they're capable of on first and 10, you figure you're going to be a nickel and dime 60% or more anyway, and maybe that way the assets you do have will be better and beneficial to you as far as, you know, rotating on the D-line, and maybe, you know, even if you want to label Gennard as a linebacker, maybe they'll, you know, end up more of, you know, rotational, you know, frontline piece because you're not going to have three linebackers on the field. Yeah, I mean, you're going to – most teams are playing in um, with three wide receivers out there. You know, think, let's think about it in the, in the uh, AFC North. You know, you're going to have 14 personnel in, in Baltimore pretty much all the time. Uh, that's a joke. <laughs> they, <laughs> they shouldn't do that. But they're going to – they're probably going to have – like Houston had the highest two tight end, you know, uh, formations in the NFL last year, like forty something. So I think Baltimore is now going to leapfrog them for that um, because because of what they're going to try to do with. I don't, they don't even have a wide receiver really. Like I can't. Willie Sneed, uh, wide receiver one, baby. Yeah. So right. So they're they're not going to be there. I mean, obviously they're going to be a run first team because of Lamar Jackson, and then they're going to sprinkle in the pass. Um, and then for whatever reason, they decided to give $15 million to Mark Ingram, even though both uh, Alex Collins, or was it not Alex Collins, Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon both averaged over five yards per carry. Uh, and you got a guy in Tyron Montgomery that can do the same. And then you have Lamar Jackson that can do the same. So I don't really know what, what Mark Ingram brings to the team and why they decided to burn $15 million for that. But the fact is that they're going to be a run-heavy team, so... Two times a year, you're at least going to need to have your a base personnel out there to be able to stop the run, um, and so they're how will they match up against them defensively? I'm not really all that keen on right now. So um, the rest of the league though is going to be more normal, and they're going to be playing eleven personnel about seventy percent of the time. So they're going to be in dime nickel at least seventy percent of the time. Yeah, so guys, I mean, we were able to do this for you. Start getting these guys under the PFF lens. Look, there's still more work to be done. You know, uh, you know, as we work closer and closer to the draft, look, it's going to be a little bit different now, guys. Uh, you know, last year, four picks in the top 37. <laughs> this year, starting the draft at 49. Still have the ammunition to move up, so we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, you know, John will be in here for a couple more times, obviously, before we get to that in April. John, do appreciate it. Uh, guys, we're not, uh, make sure you follow John Costco. Guys, if you don't, I'm telling you, PFF is a good tool. It's good to have. And look, I mean, I've grown more and more with it. And, you know, you start to see things and you're like, all right, well, I wonder how that's going to work out. And John was able, you know, through the, you know, through the season, we were able to, you know, sit down on Mondays, you know, break down the games and, you know, some specific plays. I remember Callaway's crazy, you know, uh, the great play where he ended up fumbling at the goal line and see how stuff like that is graded. And John's been good enough to help us out with some of that stuff. So go ahead, check out all that. The uh, Locked On Browns Twitter account, guys. We always keep that follow back. Um, a lot of people coming over there, dropping DMs. And guys, look, I understand. Some of you don't want to deal with Twitter. I get it. I, I truly understand it. Send a message over there. You know, I, I, I've answered a bunch over this week as the week goes on and only getting more. Um, follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ, um, underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. I uh, just want to thank everybody for a huge week here. Let's just you know keep the momentum going. Everyone's enjoying it. Browns fans, puff your chest. Yeah, you got every right to. There is nothing to not be bragging about. But look, uh, it's going to come down to winning now. And it is all about it. And the pressure is on. And Freddie Kitchens, and this is now a great story, a fun guy. But guy's got to win. Um, there's just no way around it. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.